Hey everyone, welcome back to Neuropod. In this episode, we'll consider the scenario where most people have a fully functional Neuralink, but a small percentage of society is holding out. I tend to dislike hypothetical scenarios unless I feel they have a real chance of playing out. In this case, I do believe we'll reach this point in society someday. The question of timing, however, still remains. About a week ago, I messaged a Patreon supporter and he brought up a good point I hadn't thought about previously. What happens if and or when people are forced to get a brain-machine interface to be competitive in the job market? This is clearly different from truly being forced unwillingly to get a Neuralink implant. Instead, regular people could feel enough pressure to get an implant, so much so that they say it's being forced upon them. As I've shared in previous episodes, I think the easiest way we can think about the progression of this tech is just like society's prior adoption of smartphones. While performing most job functions today, people have access to resources online and also access to the people they know. I can Google search almost any question, and if I have a more specific question, I can ask a colleague. The reason colleagues are often invaluable resources is because they operate in the same environment and have the same context as you for solving the problems you're working on. If they have more experience, they can relate the current question to any prior situations that were similar. Fortunately and unfortunately, this human ability is much more practically useful than Google searching. Let's say I work as a new, completely inexperienced team member at a construction site. If I'm on a site where a parking garage is about to be built, I could Google search tons of information regarding the methods the team's gonna use to construct everything. But no matter how much Google searching I do, I still won't have as much practically useful information as if I just shadowed a super experienced worker for a couple weeks. Tying this back to the original point, asking questions about construction are most likely gonna be answered more quickly and accurately by colleagues than Google. I should add that with YouTube, this has admittedly started to change a little bit though. Every day, we make decisions about whether it's better to Google search something or ask others. Whether it's finding out what the weather's gonna be, what time it is, what Tesla stock price is, or which health insurance plan to choose, we have options for getting the answer. It's up to us to optimize. If more than 50% of society has a brain-machine interface, we'll all still have to go through the same basic steps of sharing new information. The first step is to have the data in the first place. Second step is to search for and retrieve the relevant data. Third step is to parse through that data to find the exact piece of information you're looking for. Fourth step is to share that with others. We'll say that the goal is to determine which health insurance plan is best for you. Right now, you could ask people you know, or you could Google search. Since we'll always have the option of asking others, I'll compare Google searching to having the brain machine interface. In order to find the best health insurance, we'd have to have a database with all the possible information necessary to find the best answer. Right now, that database is Google. When we have brain-machine interfaces, I suspect the database will still be Google, or something remarkably similar. And since they're the same for all intents and purposes, we'll say there's zero advantage by having a brain-machine interface for this step. The next step is retrieving the relevant data. Google searching the question, what's the best health insurance for 26 year olds, takes a few seconds. And relatively speaking, a brain machine interface could do this step much, much faster. 
orders of magnitude faster. Let's say this process is five to 10 seconds faster with the brain machine interface. The third step of parsing through data is still a huge challenge, regardless of whether it's in the form of combing through Google searches or combing through them with a brain machine interface. Like the first step, zero advantage by having a brain machine interface. The last step of sharing the info with others is much faster with the brain machine interface because we don't have to think about how to articulate the thoughts with words. We could just share via Bluetooth or a similar medium. We'll say that this is a five to 10 second advantage with a brain machine interface. So the question is, what happens if everyone else has a Neuralink and I don't? I believe the advantage will be similar to one person having a smartphone versus another person having a flip phone. In the context of most job functions, the advantage is not very big. I believe that with a Neuralink implant, we'll probably have access to the same information we would with a Google search. The total time a brain machine interface would save us is just around half a minute per search. Obviously, if we compound the time savings over many queries for information, we'll save a ton of time, but it's not an absolutely absurd advantage like some are envisioning. In most workplace scenarios, we'd want and benefit more from our own built-up database of experiences anyways. We'd talk with colleagues and learn from others prior to Googling things. Okay, so before giving some closing thoughts, I wanna first mention that there's a caveat to my logic. Elon and the Neuralink team have previously mentioned the ability to add, modify, or delete memories. In the scenario where brain machine interfaces could successfully do this, anyone with a Neuralink could download others' experiences in the form of replayed, more vivid video-esque memories. I'd compare this to us watching a YouTube video where we could smell what the video taker smelled and feel what they felt. Maybe this would lead to having a Neuralink being much more advantageous in the workforce, but still not entirely necessary to remain competitive in the job market. Lastly, I'll add that I've realized at a high level that the thought of computers taking over humans has persisted for many decades. And this is the only significant thing I personally disagree with Elon on. Framing our future where either man or machine wins entirely just seems inaccurate and like not, not possible. Instead, so far, machines have consistently helped humans. And I expect that this is gonna continue being the case moving forward. In a seemingly odd way, I believe that Palantir has made more progress than any other company I'm aware of in this space. They're equipping humans to make good decisions once computers have parsed through tons of the data. I'll eventually do another episode about this in more depth because it seems to me like Peter Thiel and Elon Musk still have great respect for each other. And it wouldn't surprise me if their relationship was one of the primary reasons Elon decided to start Neuralink in the first place. For now, we'll just have to continue following the updates out of Neuralink and Palantir and see how everything unfolds. Thanks for listening. It's amazing how much more people listen to the content when just one or two people share it. I really appreciate whenever you guys do. If you like this episode, please consider liking, subscribing, and following at Neuropod on YouTube and Twitter. See you at the next episode on Wednesday.